This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Covered in Pet Hair, a boozy show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a relief veterinarian, a freelancer, contributor, and all the things veterinarian, who's also a fear-free veterinarian, and she's going to teach us all about cat versus vet. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with a pet parent, a veterinarian, a freelancer, and contributor. She's a relief vet, a volunteer, an adventure seeker, foodie, and coffee lover. She's a world traveler, a breadaholic that visits bakeries <laughs> when she travels, which is so cool. She's a bird watcher in her backyard. She's originally from Des Moines and currently lives in Austin, Texas. She's partner to Brian, cat mom to Puff, a 14 and a half year old domestic short hair mix, and dog mom to Dory, an 11 year old poodle mix. She's a fan of pet puzzles and enrichment. Her cat is actually away doing a pet puzzle right now. Her name is Dr. Julie Leo. Welcome. It's so good to have you on the show, Dr. Julie. Is it okay if I call you you Dr. Julie? Yeah, or okay. you can call me Julie, whatever works. And I like it's, Dr. It's exciting Julie. to, yeah. I, the most important thing that you mentioned was my bread obsession. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm so, I love that so much. I think we all have like a thing that we have to do when we travel. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think people kind of recognize that that is what they like brings them joy. So I mm-hmm. loved to learn that little tidbit about you. <laughs> It's hard to find good bread, seriously. Like I'm going to Minneapolis in a couple of months. And last time I was there, like I used to live there, but I found this really great German bread bakery. Last time I was there, I definitely packed quite a few loaves into my suitcase. And I can't wait to go back there and bring my little, as I call them, my food treasures back. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Have you been to Paris yet? Yes, I went there several years ago. Yeah, I definitely did did some bread eating there. But yes. uh, yeah, it's weird. It's just it's hard to find really good bread bakeries. Like there's, you know, like French bread bakeries and mm-hmm. things like that. But I'm more like a really crusty, like multi grain loaf. I know. And I have a chest freezer too. So this is where all my bread treasures, you know, go into because bread freezes really well. So yes. just, you know. Oh my gosh, I need to do for you. I, I need so to do more of this, this whole time, right? <laughs> no, I do. I'm a breadaholic too. Like, I mean, my family's yes. from Spain. We grew up eating okay. bread at every meal. Like, 
I yeah. love bread. Obviously, I'm like Oprah. I love bread, but I shouldn't have too much of it because, yes. you know, packs on the calories. But yeah. if it's like a really high quality bread, I feel like it's better for us. And it's an indulgence that's like something that I feel like is okay rather than like yeah. some like, you know, store-bought plastic wrapped bread. Yeah, definitely. If it's like spongy texture, not mm -hmm. as good as like a good crusty. Yeah. Yes. And I love a multigrain bread. Like in yes. Spain, I always order, like I don't like the, the regular baguette. I always get the uh -huh. multigrain baguette. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So, it's love so much it. better. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to have to go get some bread and butter yeah. after this. <laughs> Everybody's going to need to get some bread and butter. Well, before yeah. I get into the interview and getting to know you, Dr. Julie, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I want to introduce our drinking game today. So anybody participating in our drinking game at home, anytime you hear this word. The secret word is cat friendly. Make sure you take a drink of whatever you're enjoying, but please be over 21 in the U.S. to partake, never drink and drive, and always drink responsibly. So what are you having today, Dr. Julie? Well, you know, I am kind of lazy. So when I saw that this was part of the show, I went and Googled mocktail and I thought, you know, I really don't want to make an extra trip to the grocery store. So let me think about what ingredients I have. I don't like stuff that's too sweet. So I thought you might enjoy this glass as well. So I have this watermelon kind of like spritz cooler thing Ooh. that literally just has two ingredients because once again, I'm very lazy when it comes to putting stuff like this together. So it's just, I had some frozen watermelon. So I defrosted that overnight. And then I blended that with just some diet, like generic Sprite stuff that and this nice. is a, from a rest. I did not invent this recipe. It's from Food Network online, Ina Garden. But it's in a commemorative Princess Bride glass. Oh, how so cute. I don't know if you can see that. I love it's, yeah, it. Yeah, definitely one of my classic films from childhood. So, oh my gosh, that's one of my husband's favorite movies. I'm, I, yeah, yeah he's, and he the might book kill me is really, really that. good too. Yeah, highly yes. recommend the book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm actually very big on semi homemade too. Like, I very rarely go out and buy like a new spirit or something for a cocktail because I don't want to just use it one time and never use it again. So, yeah. I actually made a pineapple martini this is vodka ah. this is pineapple juice a little bit of muddled mint and cheers thank you for being on the it show good yeah cheers it's very good pineapple is one of my favorite hmm. things so i pretty much use pineapple in everything so i want to get to know you dr julie <laughs> i know you mentioned briefly and we we met at the Texas Pet Sitters Conference. You were one of our wonderful speakers. You went to kind of promote Fear Free for Pet Sitters, which is to me so important, such an amazing course that pet sitters can take. But you are also a very well-rounded veterinarian who does a lot of things for different organizations. So I wanted to get to know you and how you ended up in the veterinary field to begin with. Well, it's sort of a little bit of a longer story that I'll try to condense for you. So I, you know, a lot of people in my vet school class went straight, like they always knew they wanted to be veterinarians from childhood. They went through college knowing they were going to be vets, then went straight from college to vet school. And that wasn't me. I thought when I, when I was a kid, I thought, you know, I really wanted to be a wildlife biologist because that seemed really cool. Then I wanted to be a writer. I actually went to school for writing and, you know, in college. And so I didn't actually become a vet until later. So I ended up like working at Half Price Books and then working at a music school, just kind of, you know, trying to find my way. And yeah, I think what really drew me to vet school, 
It's actually interest in behavior because I was trying to get, you know, interests. I was trying to get experience before vet school. And I started volunteering at this place in the Twin Cities where I lived called the Animal, I think it was called the Animal Humane Society, but it was in Golden Valley, which is a little suburb of the Twin Cities. And I volunteered for this thing called the Behavior Helpline, which is where pet parents would call in with their behavior questions. And to me, it was a really great program. It was actually supervised by a veterinary behaviorist who's a vet who's board certified in behavior. And I've actually found there's a, there aren't that many veterinary behaviorists worldwide. I think there's fewer than, there's probably like 90, maybe something like that. And so really cool that somebody would, you know, be supervising the shelter program. But yeah, just these, so we had like a little manual with like, you know, questions like, oh, what do you do if someone calls about house soiling or something? And so for me, you know, I was just early 20s. I didn't know anything about really anything veterinary and pet parents would call and ask about their behavior concerns. And I think it was really cool to have this resources for uh, pet parents. But at the same time, I also thought, God, why aren't they asking their vet these questions? Like, I'm just Ooh. a totally, I'm a volunteer. You know, I'm not a veterinary professional. There's plenty of vets in the Twin Cities. Like, why are they not reaching out to their vet? Like, what is it about, you know, their vet experience that doesn't make them feel like either their concerns are valid or that they maybe are being addressed because, or maybe they're being brushed aside for medical issues. And I mean, granted, this was a while ago, so we didn't know as much about behavior like we do now. But yeah, so that kind of got me into thinking, well, I really want to, you know, go into veterinary medicine, work with small animals, and then really try to kind of think about this behavior aspect. So that's kind of how I kind of got to vet school is like a little bit later. And I'm really glad that I ended up taking time between college and vet school because I don't know. I think vet school is is definitely not easy and having that mental fortitude to get through it. And my closest friend in vet school was named Seth and we're still friends, but we we would go bird watching. We would talk about music and movies and just completely non-vet related stuff, which I absolutely love because, you know, it's like, you don't want to be 24 seven, you know, just totally entrenched talking about vet med (laughs) all day long. Yes. Especially uh, because you all study so much. Like you don't just most people I, I interviewed a vet behaviorist, uh, Dr. Chris Pockle, and we talked about what it takes to become a veterinary behaviorist, but we also discussed what vet study in school and you study all the species, all the things. And I guess I can imagine that's so overwhelming. And just like, how do you not even like mess up like a cow versus a pig versus a horse versus a cat? Like, I mean, it must be so much information overload. It really was. And I do think, I hope that vet schools continue to evolve because to me, like back then, I don't think there's really that much critical thinking. It's just more like rote memorization and then regurgitating. And it's like, so, and that's not the way it is when you practice as a vet, you're actually using a lot of critical thinking. Right. So I think, I hope that that continues to evolve because I do think it's, you know, if you, if you could memorize, you could do well in vet school and that, I don't know. There's so much more to being a vet than just doing that. And yeah, I would just say that I haven't touched a large animal <laughs> since I graduated from exactly. vet school, even though legally I'm allowed to practice on them, which is also kind of terrifying. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, on that note of, I guess, asking yeah. questions and getting to know you, I uh, want to invite you to play a game I call booze ball. And I'm basically just going to throw this ball in the air. This is like an icebreaker ball. And I'm just going to learn just a little bit about you that's not related to vet med. Are you ready to play? I am. All right, here we go. 
<laughs> Wherever my finger lands, that's what we're doing. What okay. did you think you would be when you grew up? Well, Let's say I, when you were like a child, like five, seven. Hmm. I think I wanted to be a writer probably initially a long Ooh. time ago. Like I used to write stories and actually would write these adventures slash horror stories when I was in high school, which, yeah. So I kind of, it's kind of funny that now I actually do some writing that's, you know, completely unrelated to that. Yeah, I think I was always interested in kind of artsy, kind of creative type things. Well, that's really cool. And I think you should revisit those <laughs> those books that you were writing, those yeah. stories you were writing. All right, yeah. two more, let's see. Okay. Tell me about a proud childhood moment. Hmm, proud childhood moment. I to think back. Okay, <laughs> this goes back to fifth grade. So I am not an athletic person. I don't like exercising. But for some reason, so I was a tomboy growing up and for some reason, like I would always be climbing trees and, you know, running around outside. And in fifth grade, I remember like we, it was during recess and I ended up running a race against one of my classmates who is this boy named Brian Francis. And he ended up winning, like he basically edged me out by like tenths of a second. But I don't know, like I felt really, really proud because back then this was like before a lot of people hit their growth spurts and stuff. And I don't know, like it was just something that just happened spur of the moment that I felt like <laughs> I did it. I still remember. Yes, I did it. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny. That actually reminds me. I wasn't a child, but I ran the army 10 miler a few years ago when I was kind of running, but I wasn't like a distance runner at all. And I remember being so proud of myself because I wasn't really athletic growing up. My parents definitely did not encourage athleticism at all. So it was something I never thought I would do. And I agree, like once you actually do it, and of course I wasn't like amazing at it, but I completed yeah. it and I yeah. was super proud. So I get, I totally yes. understand. Exactly. Take that Brian <laughs> Francis. I'm, I hope, I'm sure he's listening right now. He's probably gonna <laughs> be contacting me. <laughs> all right, last one. Yeah. Something you hated as a child. Something I hated, okay. Well, I, when I was growing up, I never liked mushrooms and mm -hmm. even though I love them now. So when my mom would make something with mushrooms, so we had a little uh, Shih Tzu growing up named Caterpillar and we would throw the food that we didn't want under the table <laughs> for Caterpillar <laughs> to eat. And so luckily these mushrooms were not toxic. Although I think in retrospect, I'm like, did we do that with onions too? And could we have given it? <laughs> Probably. I mean, Whatever, let's be honest, you know. probably. He, he was fine. He was fine. Yeah. But yeah, so I used to hate mushrooms, but then I grew to love them. And uh, yeah, Caterpillar helps helped us dispose of many unwanted food items. I don't know how I did it growing up without it. I didn't have an indoor dog. My mom wouldn't allow it. That's a very la oh, okay. Latin thing that's changing. But okay. um, we had to actually eat our food. My kids now, they don't have to eat anything. They just throw it out. But the only thing I will say is that the only dog that we have left is a very picky eater and she's not eating their broccoli. Like she's oh. just not doing it. Okay. You know, <laughs> they're not hiding it very well with Kira. Thank you so much for playing that game. I love to get to yeah, know people a little bit differently than, you know, yeah. what do you do and how did you get here? So I do want to know though, what you do as a relief vet, because I actually have never heard that term before. So if you would, wouldn't mind, I'd love for you to like, tell me what it means and how you actually do that work. 
Yeah, I've heard it described in different ways. So some people say it's like a substitute vet. Got it. <laughs> so, you know, vets need time off. We know that there's not enough veterinarians and vet staff to see the pets that are out there, especially in the US. It's a major problem. So yes. people are being scheduled out for, you know, weeks in advance, ER waits. I mean, I think in some cases can be hours um, yes. before you can be seen. And so relief vets really help support the industry. And it's not just relief vets, but relief technicians too where we kind of go in, allow for that time off, support clinics that are, you know, overscheduled and kind of help with seeing a different uh, pet parents too. Awesome. And you do that in Austin or do you travel? Well, that is sort of the dream. I'm actually licensed in both Texas and California because cool. my sister lives in California, but I haven't, I have yet to practice in California. I'm kind of wanting to work out the uh, logistics of that. But yeah, they're actually just recently met a vet a few months ago who is a full-time traveling relief vet. So she doesn't even have a, ha have a house. She lives in her RV. She travels with her two dogs, like just driving from like coast to coast. And, you know, there's some like logistical issues, you know, with that. But I mean, for many people, like she's living the dream, like she doesn't yes. even have a home. So right. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, I don't know that it's, all, uh, yeah. you know, she might not want to do it long term, but as long as she's yeah. comfortable, and the dogs are comfortable, and she's not going yeah. to places like New York City with an RV. It sounds like an awesome. Well, awesome she gig. goes to Long Island. She practices in Long wow. Island. Oh, wow. So long as I guess she has a place to park the RV, she is yeah. welcome. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, where do you, I would be scared to drive in New York, like, That's especially cool. with an RV. Yeah, an RV. That is really cool. No, you're never going to see me behind yeah. the wheel of an RV, no. like ever. No. No, especially yeah. not in like a place yeah. as condensed as New York. Yeah. Well, you also are a freelancer and contributor to various organizations you volunteer. Tell us a little bit about the organizations you work with. Probably the biggest one is Fear Free. So I joined Fear Free, uh, or I started contributing to Fear Free when I was still on staff as an associate vet. And I think, you know, I was always kind of obviously interested in behavior. Prior to becoming Fear Free certified, I kind of helped our, our clinic where I was working at the time become certified as a cat-friendly practice. So with that, I really started to kind of gain some knowledge about just the importance of the emotional health of pets, especially, you know, cats and dogs. So yeah, I kind of knew I wanted to do some other things besides just clinical work. And I thought, you know what, there's a couple of Fear Free experts kind of in my area. I think I'm just going to reach out to them and see if they want to have like a business lunch type thing where we kind of talk about, is there some way that I could try contributing to fear free? And nice. actually one of them is a veterinary behaviorist. And then he is married to a, a veterinary technician who is a specialist in behavior too. Cool. So they were really, really generous with their time and they connected me with a content manager at Fear Free. So I started just contributing to the pet parent website, which is Fear Free Happy Homes, and then also doing some uh, contributions to their vet site or vet professional site, which is Fear Free Pets. So yeah, that was starting 2019. And then yeah, from there, I don't know, I think from freelancing, I just start to think about, oh, this would be fun to do this, or I might try doing this. And I don't know. For me, I just, and I mentor a couple people, but I always just tell them like the worst they can say is no, or just right. ignore your email. Cause it's just, 
you know, I feel like you can just very easily ignore somebody who's reaching out to you and yes. it really doesn't hurt to try. So, so yeah, th- with the AFP, I ended up applying to become an intern for their board of directors, which I was um, last year. And then I started contributing to their cat friendly practice committee, which is how it's a committee with the cat friendly practice where they try to elevate the standard of care for cats, both with the environment, how cats are handled. It's just, it's an amazing program. And yeah, I think I'm just feel like I'm always just moving and trying to do things that make me feel kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> so I can keep <laughs> learning because I just feel like I don't want to be stagnant, you know, and I really, yeah. I love like new challenges. And, you know, like you mentioned, the pet sitters thing. And, you know, I had never created a presentation for pet sitters before. So I was like reading about, oh, what is, what is it like to get fear free certified as a pet sitter? And what's their perspective? Because, you know, obviously, I've had pets, you know, for years, and I really, really, it's super important for me to have a pet sitter who thinks about my pets, you know, stress levels, anxiety levels, both my pets have anxiety. And yeah, I just love to kind of think about all these different things that I can try. (laughs) Absolutely. And AFP stands for it's the AFP. So it's the American Association of Feline Practitioners. So okay. they're the main group that kind of helps, you know, figure out, well, they, they really have high quality standards for different types of care. They issue new guidelines. They have con- continuing education. I think it's just, yeah, they really, really try to promote feline welfare because as we might talk about later, I feel like in the vet world, especially cats just don't get as much care a lot of times as, as yeah. dogs do both from pet parents as well as, you know, vet professionals who, I don't know, some of them just don't feel comfortable with handling cats. Yeah. And groomers either, right? Groomers, there's like, it's so hard to find a groomer for cats because again, Mm -hmm. they have a fear of handling them. And sure, cats make it hard for groomers for sure. (laughs) Uh, But they also (laughs) need grooming sometimes. So I want to take a break right here. And when we come back, I do want to dig in a little deeper into cat care specifically, because like you said, cats don't get enough love. So don't go anywhere. I will be right (laughs) back with Dr. Julie Liu. Molly, here's your dinner. (laughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Julie Leo, who is a vet who travels for veterinary care as a relief vet. She is fear-free certified and she actually helps 
pet sitters like me or former pet sitters like me learn mm-hmm. about fear-free management for pets in the pet sitting world. That's how I met her. I met her at the Texas Pet Sitters Conference. She's also a contributor and a freelancer for various organizations. She writes, she t- cares for pets. She does it all. <laughs> so I want to learn more about cat-specific care from Dr. Julie today. And actually, I'm going to invite you, Dr. Julie, to play a game with me called Cat versus Vet. And this is based <laughs> Basically, okay. <laughs> this is basically, I'm going to grab here my um, handy dandy clock and okay. I'm going to give you one minute. Maybe you'll need two. <laughs> you tell me if you need two, we'll okay. give you two. I'm going to give you a minute to tell me the top 10 reasons you think cats see the vet outside of obviously preventative care vaccines and things like that. Are you ready to play? Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. Well, one, unfortunately, I think is euthanasia. I think a lot of people, I hate to start off with that answer, but I've seen that quite a few times. Two, over-grooming. I mean, these are not in order because now more answers are coming to my mind. Exactly. Um, Behavior concern, like house soiling, fighting with the, you know, housemate, spraying, inappropriate scratching, vocalizing. So just maybe like prowling around and meowing in the middle of the night medical issues uh that's four okay four (laughs) well i think some of these are both medical as well as behavioral exactly but um yes i would say weight loss could be one um vomiting let's see inappropriate urination my cat maybe ate something all right well we're over a minute we're over <laughs> keep thinking of these right behavioral on. issues yeah you're right on so this was a list that i got from a 2018 report by healthy paws pet insurance and this is just like how they code their visits obviously so a lot of these have what you said were the signs that lead to these diagnoses right mm-hmm. they're in order of conditions specifically diagnoses that cats see the vet for and the first one is stomach issues that's 29 percent. like you said they ate something two is utis 13 percent. inappropriate elimination like you said three is skin conditions over grooming could probably be that right <laughs> 12%, four is cancer. And I think weight loss might be something that is common with cancer. Mm-hmm. Five is eye conditions. I learned that with Van Gogh when he came home from the shelter with ringworm on his eye. Mm-hmm. And everybody thought yeah. because his eye was so irritated that it was an eye issue, but it was really a skin issue above the eye. Aww. Another one, 8% is ear infections. 6% is pain. There was no specifics there, but pain. Okay. Eight was growths. was growth. So again, um, some kind of physical manifestation. Nine was foreign body obstruction. So you said that they (laughs) ate something. And 10 is allergies, again, over grooming or allergies. So that is what vet cats see the vet for most (laughs) often, at least in 2018. And again, it's been many years. So there's not been any more recent reports. So we can't really tell what's happening now. But we're talking about fear-free and cats, and we're talking about some issues that are pretty significant, like pain, obviously, is going to put a cat on the defensive. Any kind of poking and prodding for a skin growth or a skin condition is going to put cats on the offensive. And I want to talk about fear-free and how it impacts all of these vet visits. For those who are listening who have never heard of fear-free, how would you describe it to a pet parent who says, I just go to whatever vet I find? And what would the benefits be of finding a fear-free vet? It's funny because it's something I think about a lot. So I think about it from the perspective of me as a pet parent, like I don't 
like when my pet gets stressed. And that means that I also, for my my cat Puff, who has a really high fear of the vet, I actually dread bringing him to the vet. Exactly. And unfortunately, as a senior cat, he just doesn't get as good care as my previous cat did, who had a low fear of the vet. So Ooh. if you are able to really think about the emotional needs of your cat, they're also going to get better physical care because it's going to take away this barrier to veterinary care. And then of yes. course, pets that are more stressed, they're not going to be able to be handled handled as easily as the vet as well. Again, speaking of puff, he needs both oral medications to go to the vet and injectable sedation on top of that. Then, yeah, I think just thinking from the perspective of just, you know, welfare and thinking about our emotional wellness, I think a lot of pet parents, like I'll go into the exam room and they're so stressed at seeing their pets stressed that they will actually be in tears and crying. And there, there's a lot of unconscious body language where you kind of walk in and they'll be kind of forming like a little wall around their pet like this, especially their cat, because they are trying to protect them, but it's not even something they're, you know, realizing they're doing. So I think just thinking about, well, you know, the emotional health component is equally as important as just thinking about these medical issues. And, you know, for me as a pet parent, I really want to bring my pets to somebody who has compassion and not just compassion for, oh, they just aren't feeling well, but compassion of, well, Puff is really, really scared right now. And when he is terrified, he's actually suffering. And I want them to like really, you know, think about my needs too, as a pet parent and as a caregiver. Absolutely. And I think you said it before the break that a lot of pet parents, the fear of the vet will stand between Mm -hmm. them taking their pet to the vet. That seems to happen a lot more with cats than it does dogs. Is that your experience? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I I think there's multiple factors. One is that a lot of cats, you know, aren't positively carrier trained. So the owners get really Ah. you know stressed out thinking about putting their cats in the carrier and bringing them to the vet clinic. And I find that a lot of times, I mean, this isn't always every case, but many times cat owners will bring their cat to the vet after their cat has been sick for a few days. They kind of wait and see if they maybe get better on their own. And then it's like three days into it. You know, it's really, it's not uncommon to see a cat that hasn't eaten anything for three days. And then we're on day three and then we see them. Yeah. So I think it's just because we know that cats are, are typically are scared at the vet and that impacts the cat parent too and creates that barrier that I mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And so and you said also veterinarians, sometimes there are veterinary clinics that are just cat clinics, which is something that's getting much more common. And there are also pet sitters that only care for cats now, which again is becoming more common, but it was maybe unheard of like 20 years ago. Why do you think some vets just prefer dogs or some really thrive in a cat only practice? Well, it seems like a lot of vet professionals are dog people, like personally, Mm -hmm. like they have dogs, they may be they think of maybe cats as difficult and unpredictable. They a lot of them actually I do think they're scared of handling cats because of some previous injury. I know I've been injured by cats before. And so a lot of that's like, oh, I don't really understand them. So I'm gonna really not really (laughs) think about, you know, handling them and try to Most clinics that see cats and dogs, a lot of times it's like set up to be a dog's world kind of thing. Yes. And whereas, you know, cat people, like I mentioned that I'm a cat person, so I'm kind of a late bloomer cat person, but (laughs) cats are amazing. And I think once you learn their body language and learn about ways that you can reduce stress at the vet clinic, it, it makes a profound difference in the level of fear, anxiety, and stress that they experience. And Puff, like he goes to a feline only clinic in Austin because I don't want him to hear barking dogs 
dogs. I don't want him to smell dogs. I want him to be in as quiet of a clinic as possible. And I've done relief for a few feline clinics and it is amazing. Like the difference in decibel (laughs) level in (laughs) feline only, because it's just like, Oh my God, there's no barking dogs. There's no, even, you know, whining, even like happy dogs that are thumping their tails, Mm -hmm. you know, against the door, making those sounds that to me would be really, really scary if I were a cat. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there are multiple, there's so many cat parents that just really need good care for their cats. And, you know, it's really up to us as vet professionals to think about, well, it's not just about these dogs, we really need to care for these cats too. And, and how can we do that, even if we're going to be seeing both cats and dogs? Well, my veterinarian tries her hardest. She only has two offices. She's a single veterinarian that has a practice uh-huh. here in El Paso. She's wonderful. And she has a cat only room and a dog only room. So she tries, uh-huh. right? Yeah. But like you said, we can still hear the dog next door whining or, you know, the whatever it is that is happening next door, which usually tends to be a dog, like the nails on the ground and all that. Yep. It, does, it, it even mm-hmm. puts me on edge because I'm always like, what's happening next door? And I actually yeah. went to a an emergency vet with Van Gogh when he started getting really aggravated about his eye. He was like hurting himself because he was so itchy. And I went to an emergency vet and I felt like I got the worst care I've ever gotten Oh no! in my life at yeah. a vet office. And yeah. I felt like, yeah, like he was a second class citizen. Sure. It was a really terrible night and they had a lot of emergencies and much more significant than his. So absolutely, you know, take it in order of of importance. Like they let me sit there for an hour and then they were like, yeah, we're not gonna be able to see him today. Can you just go somewhere else? And I was like, mm-hmm. I've already been mm-hmm. here for an hour and yeah. they're only doing that to the lady with the cat, not everybody else who's sitting there who yeah. came around at the same time. So it was almost like, yeah, they were kind of like, eh, his yeah. situation is not that bad. I'm like, it's ringworm and I have young children and another dog. So to me, it is bad, right? To me, it mm-hmm. is important that we get this like resolved or at least diagnosed yeah. because I need to know what to do. And his eye is like, you know, he's now scratching at his eye, which no. could cause other yeah. issues. But yeah. they basically like sent me home saying it wasn't ringworm when it was. And I felt yeah. like it was like, I told my husband I'd never here in El Paso or anywhere we've lived. I've never had such bad care. And I, I wondered Aww. if it was because it was a cat and they just didn't take it that seriously. I don't yeah. know. That's just like an assumption I'm making, but it was really, it stood out for me for sure. Mm-hmm. And luckily we got it resolved and he's all fine and dandy. So no worries there. (laughs) Thank God. So I want to know for those families like me in El Paso, I don't believe, and I haven't checked recently, but I'm pretty sure we don't have a fear-free veterinarian or veterinary office here. What would you recommend we do either to encourage vet offices to become certified and learn these techniques, or should we consider online? What should we do? Yeah, I think you can do a simple search. So fear free is still a growing movement. So there really aren't that many fear free certified practices. Like I'm in Austin, which is, you know, the capital of Texas, and there's only yeah. one, you know, fear free clinic in Austin. Wow. Um, yeah, and I was actually just looking earlier at Houston, I think there's only two right now that I, wow. I was able to find. Yeah. But if you go to fearfreepets.com, you can look up, you know, fear free clinics. But yeah, and then similarly, you can look up cat friendly practices. So through the AFP, so it's catbets.com. 
them and you can just do the drop down for find a cat friendly practice. But even if the whole clinic isn't certified, you can also just look for vets there who are certified because to me, you know, nobody forced them to get that continuing education. They Mm. chose to do that because it's something they feel um, strongly about. So as we know, the relationship you have with your vet as a pet parent is really, really, you know, it's really special and you want to find somebody who you trust. And that's a really great way for you to really think about, wow, this person actually has done some extra training and certification and they know about the emotional health of, of cats and dogs. And so you can actually on those other sites that I mentioned, you can actually also look for just a fear-free certified professional or a cat-friendly veterinarian. Perfect. And just my last question, because I could talk to you about fear-free all day and I could pick your (laughs) brain about cats all day. Yeah. But I do want to know for those who aren't familiar, what kind of techniques could they expect to see with a fear-free professional or veterinarian or vet tech? Uh, You mean in regards to cats or just in general? In in regards to cats specifically. Well, you know, some little things that I do is I really try to facilitate hiding in cats. So cats really like to hide when they're scared. And a lot of times they don't want to leave their carrier because it's their safe spot and that and they're scared and they want to stay in there. So I will if I'm seeing a cat, I will I will pre spray um, a towel with feel away, which is a feline facial pheromone analog, and it can have a calming effect. So I'll do that for my patients, you know, in the morning when I get to work, I'll cover the carrier with a towel. And I'll try to let the owner uh, know ahead of time, hey, we're just, you know, gonna let the cat, you know, hang out for a little second. I ideally let the cat come out on her own, you know, just this old school techniques, which I did when I first, you know, became mm-hmm. a vet of if a cat doesn't want to come out, we'll like, oh, we're just going to tilt the carrier and then shake the carrier until you <laughs> fall out. So because imagine if you to me, it's like, okay, if you're driving to your doctor's appointment, and then this giant like claw picks your car up and then shakes your car until you fall out. I mean, it'd be a terrifying experience. But that's of course um, what we're kind of doing routinely with our, our feline patients. We so are. I really try to have them come out on their own. I try to use lots of treats. So churu, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with churu, but really, really palatable meaty packets of meaty puree that lots of cats really like. And then just even, you know, handling them in a really calming way, learning their body language. I'll keep my feline patients, if they're scared, I'll examine them on the bottom of the carrier. I'll pet them like uh, when they're covered with a towel, I let them, you know, stay in the underneath the towel for handling. So yeah, just little things like that. Gabapentin really super, super important, readily available, pretty inexpensive can help reduce that pre-visit, you know, anxiety. And can I have that on board before the trip? So they're not hiding from you when they see the carrier. So little things like that just really make a huge difference in helping decrease that cat stress levels. And what can pet parents do at home to kind of start getting them ready for those vet visits? As you alluded to positive training when it comes to their carrier. Yes, positive carrier training. I really encourage cat parents to get the type of hard-sided plastic carrier where you can unbuckle and take the top off. Because a lot of cat carriers, if it's like a soft carrier, it might be a really cute carrier, but it can be really difficult for the vets and vet techs to actually access your cat. Because a lot of those soft carriers, you have to reach in and pull the cat out. So instead, I want to just be able to unbuckle the carrier and take the top off and cover the cat with a towel. So doing 
something simple as that, making sure that you take the carrier out, I would say a few weeks ahead of time before your visit, if you're not going to do that positive carrier training. So we don't want to take it out and have it live in the garage where all the screws get rusted and everything. And then <laughs> even just you can purchase feel away wipes yourself. So you can actually wipe down the inside of your carrier, have some nice cozy bedding in there. I do that for my cat 30 minutes before he goes to the vet. And then always make sure that you secure your carrier uh, in the car too. So we don't want to have a loose cat or anything like that. And so the safest place for a cat that has the least amount of motion is on the floor behind the passenger seat. So that's where I put my cat's carrier. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I want to propose a toast to you for taking oh, a yeah. chat with me. Thank you so I much. It was really fun. You again. Me too. I had so much fun yeah. seeing you again and yeah. chatting with you. <laughs> I also want to propose a toast to our executive producer, Mark Winter. Thank you, Mark. And to our audience for joining us for these awesome conversations. Cat lovers, I've got you. I've got awesome people like <laughs> Dr. Julie to talk only about cats because it's hard to do. It's hard to find awesome people like you that are willing <laughs> to come out of their, you know, cat house and talk on these radios. Dog people tend to be a lot more, I guess, camera like friendly hmm. camera comfortable in front of the camera a lot oh, of the really? best okay yeah a yeah. lot of the best cat people are like no nah, i'm good i don't want to go i don't want to <laughs> be on the camera they're so cuddling I'm, with their cat on the couch yeah <laughs> yeah they're too busy solving yeah. the cat problems of the world so yeah. i want to propose a toast to everybody for joining us for these awesome conversations thank you again dr julie and here's to a life covered in pet hair because there's no better way to live cheers cheers thank you so much Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, truly. I've totally enjoyed it. To learn more about Covered in Pet Hair, please visit CoveredInPetHair.com or PetLifeRadio.com. I will put all of Dr. Julie's links in the comments and in the show notes, so make sure you follow up with all the wonderful things she's doing. And I will see you next time. Thanks again for watching. Goodbye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>